Section 11 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding, Book 3, Of Words, by John Locke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 9 Of the Imperfection of Words 1. Words are used for recording and communicating our thoughts. From what has been said in the foregoing chapters, it is easy to perceive what imperfection there is in language and how the very nature of words makes it almost unavoidable for many of them to be doubtful and uncertain in their significations. To examine the perfection or imperfection of words, it is necessary first to consider their use and end. For as they are more or less fitted to attain that, so they are more or less perfect. We have, in the former part of this discourse, often, upon occasion, mentioned a double use of words. First, one for the recording of our own thoughts. Secondly, the other for the communicating of our thoughts to others. Two, any words will serve for recording. As to the first of these, for the recording our own thoughts for the help of our own memories, whereby, as it were, we talk to ourselves, any words will serve the turn. For since sounds are voluntary and indifferent signs of any ideas, a man may use what words he pleases to signify his own ideas to himself, and there will be no imperfection in them if he constantly use the same sign for the same idea. For then he cannot fail of having his meaning understood wherein consists the right use and perfection of language. 3. Communication by words either for civil or philosophical purposes. Secondly, as to communication by words, that too has a double use. 1. Civil. 2. Philosophical. First, by their civil use, I mean such a communication of thoughts and ideas by words as may serve for the upholding common conversation and commerce, about the ordinary affairs and conveniences of civil life in the societies of men, one amongst another. Secondly, by the philosophical use of words, I mean such a use of them as may serve to convey the precise notions of things, and to express in general propositions certain and undoubted truths which the mind may rest upon and be satisfied with in its search after true knowledge. These two uses are very distinct, and a great deal less exactness will serve in the one than in the other, as we shall see in what follows. 4. The imperfection of words is the doubtfulness or ambiguity of their signification, which is caused by the sort of ideas they stand for. The chief end of language in communication being to be understood, words serve not well for that end neither in civil nor philosophical discourse, when any word does not excite in the hearer the same idea which it stands for in the mind of the speaker. Now, since sounds have no natural connection with our ideas, but have all their signification from the arbitrary imposition of men, the doubtfulness and uncertainty of their signification which is the imperfection we here are speaking of, has its cause more in the ideas they stand for than in any incapacity there is in one sound more than in another to signify any idea, for in that regard they are all equally perfect. 
that then which makes doubtfulness and uncertainty in the signification of some more than other words is the difference of ideas they stand for five natural causes of their imperfection especially in those that stand for mixed modes and for our ideas of substances words having naturally no signification the idea which each stands for must be learned and retained by those who would exchange thoughts and hold intelligible discourse with others in any language but this is the hardest to be done where first the ideas they stand for are very complex and made up of a great number of ideas put together secondly where the ideas they stand for have no certain connection in nature and so no settled standard anywhere in nature existing to rectify and adjust them by thirdly when the signification of the word is referred to a standard which standard is not easy to be known fourthly where the signification of the word and the real essence of the thing are not exactly the same these are difficulties that attend the signification of several words that are intelligible those which are not intelligible at all such as names standing for any simple ideas which another has not organs or faculties to attain as the names of colors to a blind man or sounds to a deaf man need not here be mentioned in all these cases we shall find an imperfection in words which i shall more at large explain in their particular application to our several sorts of ideas for if we examine them we shall find that the names of mixed modes are most liable to doubtfulness and imperfection for the two first of these reasons and the names of substances chiefly for the two latter six the names of mixed modes doubtful first the names of mixed modes are many of them liable to great uncertainty and obscurity in their signification one because the ideas they stand for are so complex because of that great composition these complex ideas are often made up of to make words serviceable to the end of communication it is necessary as has been said that they excite in the hearer exactly the same idea they stand for in the mind of the speaker without this men fill one another's heads with noise and sounds but convey not thereby their thoughts and lay not before one another their ideas which is the end of discourse and language but when a word stands for a very complex idea that is compounded and decompounded it is not easy for men to form and retain that idea so exactly as to make the name in common use stand for the same precise idea without any the least variation hence it comes to pass that men's names of very compound ideas such as for the most part are moral words have seldom in two different men the same precise signification since one man's complex idea seldom agrees with another's and often differs from his own from that which he had yesterday or will have to-morrow seven secondly because they have no standards in nature because the names of mixed modes for the most part want standards in nature whereby men may rectify and adjust their significations therefore they are very various and doubtful they are assemblages of ideas put together at the pleasure of the mind pursuing its own ends of discourse and suited to its own notions 
whereby it designs not to copy anything really existing, but to denominate and rank things as they come to agree with those archetypes or forms it has made. He that first brought the word sham or wheedle or banter in use put together as he thought fit those ideas he made it stand for and as it is with any new names of modes that are now brought into any language so it was with the old ones when they were first made use of names therefore that stand for collections of ideas which the mind makes at pleasure must needs be of doubtful signification when such collections are nowhere to be found constantly united in nature, nor any patterns to be shown whereby men may adjust them. What the word murder or sacrilege, etc., signifies can never be known from things themselves. There be many of the parts of those complex ideas which are not visible in the action itself. The intention of the mind, or the relation of holy things, which make a part of murder or sacrilege, have no necessary connection with the outward and visible action of him that commits either. And the pulling the trigger of the gun with which the murder is committed, and is all the action that perhaps is visible, has no natural connection with those other ideas that make up the complex one named murder. They have their union and combination only from the understanding which unites them under one name. But uniting them without any rule or pattern, it cannot be but that the signification of the name that stands for such voluntary collections should be often various in the minds of different men, who have scarce any standing rule to regulate themselves and their notions by in such arbitrary ideas. 8. Common use or propriety not a sufficient remedy. It is true, common use, that is, the rule of propriety, may be supposed here to afford some aid to settle the signification of language. And it cannot be denied but that in some measure it does. Common use regulates the meaning of words pretty well for common conversation. But nobody having an authority to establish the precise signification of words nor determine to what ideas any one shall annex them, common use is not sufficient to adjust them to philosophical discourses. There being scarce any name of any very complex idea, to say nothing of others, which in common use has not a great latitude, and which, keeping within the bounds of propriety, may not be made the sign of far different ideas. Besides, the rule and measure of propriety itself being nowhere established, it is often matter of dispute whether this or that way of using a word be propriety of speech or no. From all which it is evident that the names of such kind of very complex ideas are naturally liable to this imperfection, to be of doubtful and uncertain signification. And even in men that have a mind to understand one another, do not always stand for the same idea in speaker and hearer. Though the names glory and gratitude be the same in every man's mouth through a whole country, Yet the complex collective idea which everyone thinks on or intends by that name is apparently very different in men using the same language. 9. The way of learning these names contributes also to their doubtfulness. The way also wherein the names of mixed modes are ordinarily learned 
does not a little contribute to the doubtfulness of their signification. For if we will observe how children learn languages, we shall find that, to make them understand what the names of simple ideas or substances stand for, people ordinarily show them the thing whereof they would have them have the idea, and then repeat to them the name that stands for it, as white, sweet, milk, sugar, cat, dog. But as for mixed modes, especially the most material of them, moral words, the sounds are usually learned first, and then, to know what complex ideas they stand for, they are either beholden to the explication of others, or, which happens for the most part, are left to their own observation and industry, which, being little laid out in the search of the true and precise meaning of names, these moral words are in most men's mouths little more than bare sounds, or when they have any, it is for the most part but a very loose and undetermined and consequently obscure and confused signification. And even those themselves who have with more attention settled their notions do yet hardly avoid the inconvenience to have them stand for complex ideas different from those which other, even intelligent and studious men, make them the signs of. Where shall one find any, either controversial debate or familiar discourse, concerning honor, faith, grace, religion, church, etc., wherein it is not easy to observe the different notions men have of them, which is nothing but this, that they are not agreed in the signification of those words, nor have in their minds the same complex ideas which they make them stand for, and so all the contests that follow thereupon are only about the meaning of a sound. And hence we see that, in the interpretation of laws, whether divine or human, there is no end. Comments beget comments, and explications make new matter for explications, and of limiting, distinguishing, varying the signification of these moral words, there is no end. These ideas of men's making are by men still having the same power, multiplied in infinitum. Many a man who was pretty well satisfied of the meaning of a text of scripture or clause in the code at first reading has, by consulting commentators, quite lost the sense of it, and by these elucidations given rise or increase to his doubts and drawn obscurity upon the place. I say not this that I think commentaries needless, but to show how uncertain the names of mixed modes naturally are, even in the mouths of those who had both the intention and the faculty of speaking as clearly as language was capable to express their thoughts. 10. Hence, unavoidable obscurity in ancient authors. What obscurity this has unavoidably brought upon the writings of men who have lived in remote ages and different countries, it will be needless to take notice. Since the numerous volumes of learned men employing their thoughts that way are proofs more than enough to show what attention, study, sagacity, and reasoning are required to find out the true meaning of ancient authors. But, there being no writings, we have any great concernment to be very solicitous about the meaning of, but those that contain either truths we are required to believe, or laws we are to obey, 
and draw inconveniences on us when we mistake or transgress, we may be less anxious about the sense of other authors, who, writing but their own opinions, we are under no greater necessity to know them than they to know ours. Our good or evil, depending not on their decrees, we may safely be ignorant of their notions, and therefore in the reading of them, if they do not use their words with a due clearness and perspicuity, we may lay them aside, and without any injury done them, resolve thus with ourselves. Si non vis intelligi debes negligi. 11. Names of substances of doubtful signification because the ideas they stand for relate to the reality of things. If the signification of the names of mixed modes be uncertain, because there be no real standards existing in nature to which those ideas are referred, and by which they may be adjusted, the names of substances are of a doubtful signification for a contrary reason namely, because the ideas they stand for are supposed conformable to the reality of things, and are referred to as standards made by nature. In our ideas of substances, we have not the liberty, as in mixed modes, to frame what combinations we think fit to be the characteristical notes to rank and denominate things by. In these we must follow nature, suit our complex ideas to real existences, and regulate the signification of their names by the things themselves, if we will have our names to be signs of them and stand for them. Here it is true we have patterns to follow, but patterns that will make the signification of their names very uncertain for names must be of a very unsteady and various meaning if the ideas they stand for be referred to standards without us that either cannot be known at all or can be known but imperfectly and uncertainly. 12. Names of substances referred 1. To real essences that cannot be known the names of substances have, as has been shown, a double reference in their ordinary use. First, sometimes they are made to stand for, and so their signification is supposed to agree to, the real constitution of things, from which all their properties flow, and in which they all center. But this real constitution, or, as it is apt to be called, essence, being utterly unknown to us, any sound that is put to stand for it must be very uncertain in its application, and it will be impossible to know what things are or ought to be called a horse or antimony when those words are put for real essences that we have no ideas of at all. And therefore, in this supposition, the names of substances being referred to standards that cannot be known, their significations can never be adjusted and established by those standards. 13. Secondly, to coexisting qualities which are known but imperfectly. Secondly, the simple ideas that are found to coexist in substances, being that which their names immediately signify, these, as united in the several sorts of things, are the proper standards to which their names are referred, and by which their significations may be best rectified. But neither will these archetypes so well serve to this purpose as to leave these names without very various and uncertain significations. 
because these simple ideas that coexist and are united in the same subject being very numerous and having all an equal right to go into the complex specific idea which the specific name is to stand for men though they propose to themselves the very same subject to consider yet frame very different ideas about it and so the name they use for it unavoidably comes to have in several men very different significations the simple qualities which make up the complex ideas being most of them powers in relation to changes which they are apt to make in or receive from other bodies are almost infinite he that shall but observe what a great variety of alterations any one of the baser metals is apt to receive from the different application only of fire and how much a greater number of changes any of them will receive in the hands of a chemist by the application of other bodies will not think it strange that i count the properties of any sort of bodies not easy to be collected and completely known by the ways of inquiry which our faculties are capable of they being therefore at least so many that no man can know the precise and definite number they are differently discovered by different men according to their various skill attention and ways of handling who therefore cannot choose but have different ideas of the same substance and therefore make the signification of its common name very various and uncertain for the complex ideas of substances being made up of such simple ones as are supposed to coexist in nature every one has a right to put into his complex idea those qualities he has found to be united together for though in the substance of gold one satisfies himself with color and weight yet another thinks solubility in aqua regia as necessary to be joined with that color in his idea of gold as any one does its fusibility solubility in aqua regia being a quality as constantly joined with its color and weight as fusibility or any other others put into it ductility or fixedness etc as they have been taught by tradition or experience who of all these has established the right signification of the word gold or who shall be the judge to determine each has his standard in nature which he appeals to and with reason thinks he has the same right to put into his complex idea signified by the word gold those qualities which upon trial he has found united as another who has not so well examined has to leave them out or a third who has made other trials has to put in others for the union in nature of these qualities being the true ground of their union in one complex idea who can say one of them has more reason to be put in or left out than another from hence it will unavoidably follow that the complex ideas of substances in men using the same names for them will be very various and so the significations of those names very uncertain fourteen thirdly to coexisting qualities which are known but imperfectly besides there is scarce any particular thing existing which in some of its simple ideas does not communicate with a greater and in others a less number of particular beings who shall determine in this case which are those that are to make up the precise collection 
that is to be signified by the specific name, or can with any just authority prescribe which obvious or common qualities are to be left out, or which more secret or more particular are to be put into the signification of the name of any substance, all which together seldom or never fail to produce that various and doubtful signification in the names of substances which causes such uncertainty, disputes, or mistakes when we come to a philosophical use of them. 15. With this imperfection they may serve for civil but not well for philosophical use. It is true, as to civil and common conversation, the general names of substances regulated in their ordinary signification by some obvious qualities, as by the shape and figure in things of known seminal propagation, and in other substances, for the most part by color, joined with some other sensible qualities, do well enough to design the things men would be understood to speak of. And so they usually conceive well enough the substances meant by the word gold or apple to distinguish the one from the other. But in philosophical inquiries and debates, where general truths are to be established and consequences drawn from positions laid down, there, the precise signification of the names of substances will be found not only not to be well established, but also very hard to be so. For example, he that shall make malleability or a certain degree of fixedness a part of his complex idea of gold may make propositions concerning gold and draw consequences from them that will truly and clearly follow from gold taken in such a signification. But yet, such as another man can never be forced to admit, nor be convinced of their truth, who makes not malleableness or the same degree of fixedness part of that complex idea that the name gold, in his use of it, stands for. 16. Instance, liquor. This is a natural and almost unavoidable imperfection in almost all the names of substances, in all languages whatsoever, which men will easily find when, once passing from confused or loose notions, they come to more strict and close inquiries for then they will be convinced how doubtful and obscure those words are in their signification, which in ordinary use appeared very clear and determined. I was once in a meeting of very learned and ingenious physicians, where by chance there arose a question whether any liquor passed through the filaments of the nerves, the debate having been managed a good while by variety of arguments on both sides, I, who had been used to suspect that the greatest part of disputes were more about the signification of words than a real difference in the conception of things, desired that, before they went any further on in this dispute, they would first examine and establish amongst them what the word liquor signified. They at first were a little surprised at the proposal, and had they been persons less ingenious, they might perhaps have taken it for a very frivolous or extravagant one, since there was no one there that thought not himself to understand very perfectly what the word liquor stood for, which I think, too, none of the most perplexed names of substances. However, they were pleased to comply with my motion, and upon examination found that the signification of that word was not so settled or certain as they had all imagined. 
but that each of them made it a sign of a different complex idea. This made them perceive that the main of their dispute was about the signification of that term, and that they differed very little in their opinions concerning some fluid and subtle matter passing through the conduits of the nerves, though it was not so easy to agree whether it was to be called liquor or no, a thing which, when considered, they thought it not worth the contending about. 17. Instance Gold How much this is the case in the greatest part of disputes that men are engaged so hotly in, I shall perhaps have an occasion in another place to take notice. Let us only here consider a little more exactly the forementioned instance of the word gold, and we shall see how hard it is precisely to determine its signification. I think all agree to make it stand for a body of a certain yellow shining color, which being the idea to which children have annexed that name, the shining yellow part of a peacock's tail is properly to them gold. Others, finding fusibility joined with that yellow color in certain parcels of matter, make of that combination a complex idea to which they give the name gold, to denote a sort of substances, and so exclude from being gold all such yellow shining bodies as by fire will be reduced to ashes, and admit to be of that species or to be comprehended under that name gold, only such substances as having that shining yellow color will by fire be reduced to fusion and not to ashes. Another, by the same reason, adds the weight, which, being a quality as straightly joined with that color as its fusibility, he thinks has the same reason to be joined in its idea and to be signified by its name, and therefore the other made-up of body of such a color and fusibility to be imperfect, and so on of all the rest, wherein no one can show a reason why some of the inseparable qualities that are always united in nature should be put into the nominal essence and others left out, or why the word gold, signifying that sort of body the ring on his finger is made of, should determine that sort rather by its color, weight, and fusibility than by its color, weight, and solubility in aqua regia since the dissolving it by that liquor is as inseparable from it as the fusion by fire, and they are both of them nothing but the relation which that substance has to two other bodies, which have a power to operate differently upon it. For by what right is it that fusibility comes to be a part of the essence signified by the word gold, and solubility but a property of it? Or why is its color part of the essence, and its malleableness but a property? That which I mean is this, that these being all but properties, depending on its real constitution, and nothing but powers, either active or passive, in reference to other bodies, no one has authority to determine the signification of the word gold as referred to such a body existing in nature, more to one collection of ideas to be found in that body than to another, whereby the signification of that name must unavoidably be very uncertain. Since, as has been said, Several people observe several properties in the same substance, and I think I may say nobody all, and therefore we have but very imperfect descriptions of things, 
and words have very uncertain significations. 18. The names of simple ideas the least doubtful. From what has been said, it is easy to observe what has been before remarked, namely, that the names of simple ideas are, of all others, the least liable to mistakes, and that for these reasons. First, because the ideas they stand for, being each but one single perception, are much easier got and more clearly retained than the more complex ones, and therefore are not liable to the uncertainty which usually attends those compounded ones of substances and mixed modes, in which the precise number of simple ideas that make them up are not easily agreed, so readily kept in mind. And, secondly, because they are never referred to any other essence, but barely that perception they immediately signify, which reference is that which renders the signification of the names of substances naturally so perplexed and gives occasion to so many disputes. Men that do not perversely use their words or on purpose set themselves to cavil seldom mistake in any language which they are acquainted with the use and signification of the name of simple ideas. White and sweet, yellow and bitter, carry a very obvious meaning with them, which every one precisely comprehends or easily perceives he is ignorant of and seeks to be informed. But what precise collection of simple ideas modesty or frugality stand for in another's use is not so certainly known. And however we are apt to think we well enough know what is meant by gold or iron, yet the precise complex idea others make them the signs of is not so certain and I believe it is very seldom that, in speaker and hearer, they stand for exactly the same collection, which must needs produce mistakes and disputes when they are made use of in discourses, wherein men have to do with universal propositions and would settle in their minds universal truths and consider the consequences that follow from them. 19. And next to them, simple modes. By the same rule, the names of simple modes are, next to those of simple ideas, least liable to doubt and uncertainty, especially those of figure and number, of which men have so clear and distinct ideas. Whoever that had a mind to understand them mistook the ordinary meaning of seven or a triangle, and in general the least compounded ideas in every kind have the least dubious names. 20. The most doubtful are the names of very compounded mixed modes and substances. Mixed modes, therefore, that are made up but of a few and obvious simple ideas have usually names of no very uncertain signification. But the names of mixed modes, which comprehend a great number of simple ideas, are commonly of a very doubtful and undetermined meaning, as has been shown. The names of substances being annexed to ideas that are neither the real essences nor exact representations of the patterns they are referred to, are liable to yet greater imperfection and uncertainty, especially when we come to a philosophical use of them. 21. Why this imperfection charged upon words? The great disorder that happens in our names of substances, proceeding, for the most part, from our want of knowledge, 
and inability to penetrate into their real constitutions, it may probably be wondered why I charge this as an imperfection rather upon our words than understandings. This exception has so much appearance of justice that I think myself obliged to give a reason why I have followed this method. I must confess, then, that when I first began this discourse of the understanding, and a good while after, I had not the least thought that any consideration of words was at all necessary to it. But when, having passed over the original and composition of our ideas, I began to examine the extent and certainty of our knowledge, I found it had so near a connection with words that, unless their force and manner of signification were first well observed, there could be very little said clearly and pertinently concerning knowledge, which, being conversant about truth, had constantly to do with propositions. And though it terminated in things, yet it was for the most part so much by the intervention of words that they seemed scarce separable from our general knowledge. At least they interposed themselves so much between our understandings and the truth which it would contemplate and apprehend that, like the medium through which visible objects pass, the obscurity and disorder do not seldom cast a mist before our eyes and impose upon our understandings. If we consider in the fallacies men put upon themselves, as well as others, and the mistakes in men's disputes and notions, how great a part is owing to words and their uncertain or mistaken significations, we shall have reason to think this no small obstacle in the way to knowledge, which I conclude we are the more carefully to be warned of because it has been so far from being taken notice of as an inconvenience that the arts of improving it have been made the business of men's study and obtained the reputation of learning and subtlety, as we shall see in the following chapter. But I am apt to imagine that, were the imperfections of language, as the instrument of knowledge, more thoroughly weighed, a great many of the controversies that make such a noise in the world would of themselves cease, and the way to knowledge, and perhaps peace too, lie a great deal opener than it does. 22. This should teach us moderation in imposing our own sense of old authors. Sure I am that the signification of words in all languages, depending very much on the thoughts, notions, and ideas of him that uses them, must unavoidably be of great uncertainty to men of the same language and country. This is so evident in the Greek authors that he that shall peruse their writings will find in almost every one of them a distinct language, though the same words. But when to this natural difficulty in every country there shall be added different countries and remote ages, wherein the speakers and writers had very different notions, tempers, customs, ornaments, and figures of speech, etc., every one of which influenced the signification of their words then, though to us now they are lost and unknown, it would become us to be charitable one to another in our interpretations or misunderstandings of those ancient writings, which, though of great concernment to be understood, are liable to the unavoidable difficulties of speech which, if we accept the names of simple ideas and some very obvious things, is not capable, without a constant defining the terms, 
of conveying the sense and intention of the speaker without any manner of doubt and uncertainty to the hearer and in discourses of religion law and morality as they are matters of the highest concernment so there will be the greatest difficulty twenty three especially of the old and new testament scriptures the volumes of interpreters and commentators on the old and new testament are but two manifest proofs of this though everything said in the text be infallibly true yet the reader may be nay cannot choose but be very fallible in the understanding of it nor is it to be wondered that the will of god when clothed in words should be liable to that doubt and uncertainty which unavoidably attends that sort of conveyance when even his son whilst clothed in flesh was subject to all the frailties and inconveniences of human nature sin accepted and we ought to magnify his goodness that he hath spread before all the world such legible characters of his works and providence and given all mankind so sufficient a light of reason that they to whom this written word never came could not whenever they set themselves to search either doubt of the being of a god or of the obedience due to him since then the precepts of natural religion are plain and very intelligible to all mankind and seldom come to be controverted and other revealed truths which are conveyed to us by books and languages are liable to the common and natural obscurities and difficulties incident to words methinks it would become us to be more careful and diligent in observing the former and less magisterial positive and imperious in imposing our own sense and interpretations of the latter End of section eleven